This is Dojo Live, Tech Without Borders, stories that bring us together. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Dojo Live. Today is Wednesday, November 3rd. 2021. This is Tulio Sergusa broadcasting from Southern California. Joining me today are Carlos Ponce from Cuernavaca, Mexico, and Kim Lantis in Hermosillo, Mexico. Hi, guys. Welcome back. Hello. Pleasure to be here, Saver Tulio. And of course, let's not forget why we do this, which is for our guest. And we have Christopher Berg, who is the CEO and head chef at Data Kitchen broadcasting from just outside of Boston in Lexington, Massachusetts. Happy to be Welcome here. To the Thanks show. for welcoming and, and glad that I learned that you live in, lived in Watertown. So Yes, I did for three years. Nice. Pretty amazing place there. Uh, so it's uh, great to have you with us today. And we're curious to learn what a head chef in a data company does. So we keep having this image of bits soup and bites <laughs> uh, <laughs> so before we go into the topic today and unpack everything that we can learn from that let's get to know you a little bit christopher would you please uh introduce yourself tell us a little bit about yourself thank you uh sure so i guess what would i say i'm an old data nerd maybe that's the headline um so I grew up in Wisconsin worked my way through college i actually taught in Africa in the Peace Corps for a few years and then I spent 15 years kind of doing software. So I was a software engineer at uh, a lab at NASA and, and also commercial at Microsoft. And then about 2005, you know, I, I, I sort of thought I, I got this software thing, right? I can code, I can manage teams who code. I'm a big software guy. And I thought I'd do this data analytics thing. And I thought, ah, it's, it's easy, you know, and, and uh, <laughs> I had small kids. I'll be able to go home at, at five. There'll be no problems. And, uh, you know, it, it didn't turn out that way at all because I was managing teams of what we now call data engineers who put together data for insight, um, people who do visualization on top of that. Sometimes they're called analysts and what we now call data scientists, people who apply algorithms to it. And, um, you know, things broke left and right and we never could go fast enough. And Lo and behold, all the smart people I hired really wanted to innovate and do different things. And so like running the factory, changing the factory was just hell for seven or eight years. And I had to really learn a whole new lessons on what it means to manage a technical team and what it means to actually build and truly be agile and truly run lean in those words. And, and so um, when we founded the company eight years ago, we realized that that particular problem that we had had with our groups was a generalizable problem to lots of people in the industry and lots of people who are doing data and analytic work uh, are suffering because they're sort of not operating with the, the right playbook. And so we have, uh, I think the right playbook and some software to back up the installation of that playbook. And so we have a company that's devoted to that. Or a cookbook, what an interesting journey, uh, interesting journey. You certainly were in the data space before we had access to parallel computing and uh, all that came from that, which turned into big data and so on. So funny how data just doesn't render when, when you, the way you want it to, right? Yeah, yeah. It's funny <laughs> Especially when data... you have lots of it. Yeah, so... and even when you have a little of it, it's got to like, 
it doesn't tell your story sometimes it's wrong sometimes and like uh as a raw material it has a lot of power but like any raw material it needs to be shaped into something and and those processes that you use to shape data you know they've got two kind of interesting characteristics one is like day in and day out it's kind of like a factory it's kind of like building a toyota car mm -hmm. and then the other it's a lot like uh building software because the factory itself is software so it has a lot of characteristics of what software teams do and how they work and so this interesting mix of thinking of it as a factory and thinking of your team as a as a software team are, are two ideas that are um i think now getting more and more popular in the data and analytics field um and and i think that's that's sort of where where we come in because um if you don't do that you end up just um your your life sort of sucks like mine did in 2006 um and the why it sucks is like you're constantly feeling bad that you're going too slow and teams you're constantly having to deal with data problems so you're kind of in hero mode like something goes wrong your vp gets a report worked last week doesn't work this week so it's seven o'clock on friday you want to go home to your kid's party but you're like tapping away trying to figure out, did I get bad data? Did something happen? Did I misconfigure something? And there are you know, teams of two dozen people on the phone call who are sort of dreading going to work. And, and we actually did this survey recently of data engineers. It was kind of like a mental health survey. Um, and we sort of asked them about job satisfaction and stress. And we threw this question in at the end that I thought would be, uh, that we thought would kind of be a throw off, but it turned out to be really interesting. 80% of the people who are in the data engineering role want a therapist because their job is so unhappy and stressful and that, that's a, i think that's a big and yeah. I, you know wow. I, I live that life so i i understand it um it yeah. sucks but i understand it well i mean plus plus back then i mean you still had transition from mainframe system all the data factories were transitioning from mainframe to cloud computing. I remember being with Axiom trying to introduce the whole concept of cloud computing when Matiza was just a starting company that had figured out how to uh, create cloud. But in any case, data is always telling the truth, but it doesn't comply. It's a rebel. So yeah. let's get to know that's, Data yeah, Kitchen. Like Tell us something kitchen. about the company. Yes. <laughs> Tell us well, about Data Kitchen. Well, we, you know, we tried out when we started the company, we tried out names and I just, I didn't want to be another boring middle-aged white data guy, right? So I want something, because I am a boring middle-aged white data guy. So, um, uh, you know, I wanted something different. So we, we chose an interesting name. And, and kitchen's kind of appropriate because in a good restaurant, a kitchen is a very creative place, right? People, um, and they've got to do two things in that kitchen, right? One is they've got to, one that, once they have a meal that people want to buy, they've got to consistently make it with high quality, right? And, and um, they've got to tweak it sometimes based on what the customers ask. Right. But then people go back to restaurants because good restaurants, because they've always have new items that they're putting out. They also have new meals that they're trying off. So, they, so teams want to innovate and it takes a team of people. It's not just one chef in a kitchen. Everyone's got works, has to work together. They have different roles in that. So a kitchen is a very appropriate place to talk to the process that teams use to get insight out of data. And largely it's a team sport now. It's no longer the individual hero in the back room. It's, um, you know, it's a large groups of people, dozens, if not hundreds of, of people are uh, assigned to 
take the data that a company has, get more of it and, and figure out if it matters to their business and then, you know, answer questions from the business people and influence them with that, with that data. And, and to me, that's, that's, uh, you know, the kitchen analogy is very apt because it's, it's that sort of creative service driven mentality that makes data analytic teams uh, excellent in my mind. Excellent. I like it. Whether you get your data from the factory or the lake, it's got to end up in the kitchen. It's got to happen in the kitchen. And yeah, we call data factory for a while. Maybe that's it, but it's more fun. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, of course. All right. Let's 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 kick off the conversation uh, with the topic today and see what we can unpack. Carlos, please. Absolutely. Thank you, Tulio. Well, if you have or anybody has ever wondered how data ops can lower the cost of asking analytic questions, well, that's something that we're going to be answering and discussing today right here on our show with our guest. And the topic for today's conversation as chosen by Chris, our guest, is deliver better analytics faster with data ops. So the first question that I have for you, Chris, is why did you choose this particular topic for today's conversation? And why did you feel it was relevant for today's day and age? Well, I'm going to start with a very interesting digression, right? And so um, when I grew up, I grew up in Wisconsin and there was an American Motors factory that produced this car called a Pacer. And it lasted like 50,000 miles. Sometimes you'd open the door, the people who worked on it left a wrench inside. It was a bad car. The car ever. Yeah, like the worst <laughs> car ever. And you know what? Sort of American car. Motors went out of business. Um, and uh, my dad was in a, a union at the time, right? Uh, he was a telephone repairman. And, and in high school, uh, he got a Toyota Corolla. And it was a Japanese car. It was cheap. It lasted longer. And he's like, it's cheaper. It lasts longer. Why would I not buy it? <laughs> and so, um, you know, why, is, why did Toyota make better cars than American Motors, right? It's, it's not that the people were better or the technology building cars is better. It's that Toyota really focused on the process of building things, right? They focused on that sort of the automation and the process of how those teams of people kind of building a technically complicated thing. And so there's a set of knowledge that sort of Deming and the Toyota production system figured out 50 years ago about, hey, you got a large bunch of people, they're working on a technically complicated thing like a factory. And uh, how do you get them to work together? to not leave wrenches in cars and not have cars that break, right? To have cars that you can change quickly to cars that have high quality. Um, and in manufacturing, they call it TQM. Um, and so about 20 years ago in software, uh, and I'm sorry if I'm, uh, that there's some people wrote something called the Agile Manifesto and said, mm -hmm. you know what? Let's not, let's not be American Motors and, and software. Let's, let's be Toyota. Let's produce high quality software that we can change a lot. And um, so I think what data ops is, is just stealing those same ideas. You know, what happened now, it's data and analytic teams, a bunch of people working on a shared, technically complicated thing, that process to take data and, and put it in charts and graphs and insight. And the same sort of ways that you, um, the playbooks that you apply to, to factories, to software teams need to apply to data and analytic teams. And we put the name on it, as data ops, but it really is just a ripping off of old ideas and, and applying them to another another domain. Mm -hmm. 
Great. Thank you so much, Chris. And that's what our company's okay. about. <laughs> no, that's totally great. Like it, we all need that type of eye-opening. Like, hey, this works here. Why not make it work in this this space as well? Yeah. Is the term I mean, data, data ops. Did you coin that out of data kitchen? Uh, no, we we had some worse names for it. Like we <laughs> called it agile analytic operations. Um, we called it DevOps for data science. Uh, we called it uh, analytic ops, but then if you shorten it to a smaller word, it creates something that's not quite so good. And uh, so uh, we settled, we found one article that was using the term data ops and we started to use it. So um, <laughs> it was short. That's what we're going with. That's yeah. Sad. Yeah. Uh, I like, I like so, what you mentioned about, uh, I'm sorry, no, go ahead, Tulio, please. No, no, yeah, 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 cool. I was just going to say something that grabbed my attention here as I was looking at the website. And it's about how uh, you mentioned that teams can stop worrying about everything that they went wrong and start, start winning respect and appreciation for everything that goes right, right? Yeah. So I've spoken to a lot of software developers out there who are great, but they, they will claim this... This particular skill as their own, but no, they need help, right? They they could need help, and that's where data ops comes in and data kitchen comes in, right? Yeah, so. yeah, and you know we, you know there's there's we target people who, you know, don't do software but do data and analytics, and they're kind of like software engineers. They look like them, they talk like them, they watch the same movies, but somewhere after uh, college they took the right turn and they're data people now, not software people even though they may have a CS degree and they code all the time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you don't want to mix up a data person with a software person. They get, you know, even though it's fighting hard to work. Know. Yeah, it's fighting work. <laughs> exactly. All right. Yeah, yeah and I think, um, and, and that's our, that's who we uh, want to help, the data teams, uh, data Perfect. analytics. Perfect, so thank you. Help? Let's unpack this a little bit. How does it help those teams? What is it exactly? that Data Kitchen is providing. Uh, perhaps just painting the picture, not everyone's fully aware of everything inside of the data flow ecosystem, right? Yeah. Uh, if we paint the picture from the repository, the source of the data, how it gets extrapolated into some kind of a uh, place to massage it, analyze yeah. it, enhance it, and then produce some insights that can execute uh, some other systems that make decisions. If you can just unpack, where does this fit in the ecosystem of yeah, uh, the yeah. entire data flow? So like we think of it as the factory and not the workstation at, on a particular step in the factory. You know, we think it as um, a system that helps automate workflows um, as opposed to analyzing data. And so mm -hmm. it's uh, it's becomes the system of record for the code that it's applied to data to get insight, as opposed to the system of record for data. Because one way to shake, um, you know, data people tend to be very data focused, but they're honestly, they're building software. Like, and maybe that software is Python code, or maybe that software is, has a, is built in a nice UI uh, and runs in a nice uh, engine. It's an ETL tool and runs in that engine, or you're configuring something. But fundamentally, those tools that you mentioned, think of those as the workstations that data is going through. Data is being accessed, integrated. Algorithms are being applied. Visualizations being applied. Security, governance. There's all these different 
kind of workstations that are putting pieces together on the data and artifacts are being created. And there's no factory that registers all those pieces now. It's, you know, it's people sort of throw stuff from one level to the other, like, hey, I'm done. And then they like check it over and, you know, people are maybe there to catch it or not. And the data's done. All right, you do your model. All right, the model's done. All right, you do your viz. And the viz is done. Well, we got to do the governance and security. And it's so manual and unautomated. Um, and it's, it's very like craft production uh, and to use a manufacturing term. And it's not uh, automated. It's not assembled. It's not analyzed for improvement. And that sort of idea of you should focus on the factory as opposed to just the individual workstations in the factory and uh, looking at it from an end to end process as opposed to a largely bunch of disjoint processes. You know, it, it is that's a fairly lean agile Deming like idea, right, is to think in systems uh, as opposed to particular. So we're a system that helps people deliver insight using their current tools, using their current data you know, faster with higher quality and gives them more time to um, add value to their business instead of spending times in meetings and, and doing the same thing 13 times over again. And add value to their lives, like you were mentioning before, right? So this is this hope of if you like data, it doesn't have to be to be miserable. Uh, do you have any stories of let's or numbers data um, as like how efficient or how much a tool like Data Kitchen can help this process and the real life impact on the actual and the analysts? Yeah, we do. And it's, it's really amazing. And it may sound insane, but like uh, companies end up delivering 10 times more insight. They do 10 times more appreciable work when they have a process that works. And why is that crazy number? It's, it's because a lot of, there's a lot of impedance and slowness in trying to, when you sort of take stuff, hand create it, throw it over to the next person, hand create it, there's meetings and coordination. And there's a lot of problems in that, that uh, errors that, tr that trap and the errors are time consuming. And so, you know, big statistics about all data and analytic projects are that 60 to 80% of them fail in some form. This is Gartner, it's a number. Um, they fail to get their requirements, they fail to meet it. Um, there's a group called New Vantage Partners that does a survey of chief data officers and the sort of high order bit in data and analytics is being data driven. Like that's what a Gartner says. You want your company to be data driven. And the number of companies self-reporting being data driven has gone down by five or I think four percentage points in the latest survey. Um, and so this project failure, the number of data driven is going down, our psychological survey about frustrations. Um, we've done surveys about error rates, how many errors people have, and, and a lot of their work is, is sort of fraught with errors and people following it up. And all these things just point to an industry that, uh, you know, you could say is in trouble, or I think of it as it's, it's an opportunity to change and, and improve. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, we've got to get out of the heroic age, or we've also got to get out of the, you know, if I build it, I'm never going to change it because I'm afraid it's going to break phase. <laughs> so uh, uh, there's a lot of heroism and then there's a lot of sort of its, its counterpart, which is sort of fear and, and, and off-putting and wall building. Hey, Chris, a little parenthesis here. We got folks internally here saying that, hey, they love your hairy friend laying there. So peace and quiet. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's my dog. <laughs> yeah. He like comes up in the afternoon, hangs out. It's his time. So 
Yeah, it's a, a my it's my wife's we it's my wife's <laughs> labradoodle. So yeah, excellent. I've got... Hey, there he is. <laughs> oh, you guys talking about me? <laughs> What's going on? Uh, what are you talking see. about, Willis? So, okay. Uh, there so, we go. Oh. So, Chris, you, you and I, I mean, we're old enough to remember uh, the impact middleware had on data back in the yeah. day. I mean, that was the the biggest probably breakthrough in uh, analytics uh, in terms of being able to orchestrate the various systems, which were not as many as they are today, but the middleware made it possible to orchestrate and facilitate all this analytics, even though it was still very manual to a lot of it. But would you, you know, move fast forward, big data, cloud computing, it changed everything, right? There's so much more information. There's really no such middleware orchestration engine, although it sounds a little bit like what you guys are doing mimic some of that am i am i on the right track yeah a little bit you know i think what we're trying to do is you know we're trying to orchestrate processes and the processes are with the people and the tools that they use to do their job and less about the sort of data flow in the organization moving the, the data from one place to the other um because yeah with the movement to cloud or with you know tools like um snap logic or mq series or etl tools the sort of flow of data problem has been worked on and kind of solved and like um you know people they have a lot of data and they're increasingly the tools are getting commoditized to get access to that data um what they don't have is the ability to kind of synthesize the data and that process of synthesizing data and building the factory to support a, a good result out of that synthesis is what's hard for people and uh Fundamentally, I think data and analytics is a service profession. You're trying to help. Um, you're trying to help the business or the customer get value out of data. And you have these particular set of skills that you've learned in analyzing data that make you a good technical person. And you're trying to convince them and be of service to them. And that's really best done in an iterative process. And it actually makes really good job satisfaction because once you start having effect on your customers, um, it's really empowering the teams. And instead of spending six months working on something, you're delivering something every two weeks. Um, it makes, I find the teams who do it, they're just much happier and they're much more empowered um, and they're less likely to quit and walk away, uh, which is another problem. And so um, I think that is really my ultimate motive in starting the company is, is just removing the lack of job satisfaction that I felt in 2006 and seven and building allowing people to organize properly so that they can um, deliver value quickly, be of service to the organization and take our weird particular nerd data skills and, and make them useful for the company. So just to continue on this uh, topic, consulting firms have made millions of dollars helping organization plan out the orchestration of what you're talking about. Is this, to complement that, or is this codifying what usually has taken lots and lots of consultants to come up with workflows to develop these strategies? Is this a replacement for that so that it's more automated and more self-service oriented? Or is it does it work in conjunction with those experts who can come in to help build those workflows? Curious yeah. the contrast between the two. Yeah, it's interesting. So um in the data and analytic field, one way people solve analytics is they have an internal team 
whose job it is to deliver insight from data. Another way they do it is they say that internal team sucks. We're going to hire McKinsey or a bunch of, you know, there's, there's hundreds of consultancies who are basically give us your data. Our people are so smart. Um, we're going to turn back insight. And, that, and that, in fact, I, I worked for one of those for a while. And, um, you know, it's great. But uh, like what I learned is that most, and this may sound really arrogant, but most people aren't that smart. And it, you, you're, you know, consultants are selling smarts, but really what matters isn't smart, it's the system people work in. And, you know, consulting's got a, you know, up and out mat metaphor. So people work like crazy in long hours, um, but I don't think that has to be the only way you get insight out of data. I think you can build a system that produces lots of new and original insight and not have your team be killed and therefore not have to like hire out, con out consultants whose sort of business model is, hiring 22 year olds, burning them out, um, and then you know hiring a new crop of 22 year olds. Not to say that that's wrong and not to say that the consultants aren't great people. I'm just thinking uh, from my mind in that particular case of, of getting insight out of data, you can institutionalize best practice and your internal team can, uh, can do it. And it's not so much, um, it's, you know, while smart people are nice and important, it's, uh, I just, I'm less of a believer that smart people really matter and systems that people work in matter more. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's a very, it's a very Deming-esque idea. Well, I mean, it goes back Chris. to this idea of the agile manifesto. One is you empower people to do it themselves. The other one is you're codependent on some external consultant to help you through it. So uh, totally appreciate the, the comparison. Go ahead, Carlos. <laughs> Thank you, Sully. Appreciate it. Uh, Chris, okay. Assuming we, we got a lot of uh, engineers watching out there, watching the show, the conversation, and uh, let's suppose that you want to reel in only the best of the best to come work for you. What, what would you tell them that would make them drop it, whatever it is that they're doing, come, come work for you and apply for a job at, at uh, Data Kitchen? What makes Data Kitchen a great company that people might want to come work it for? Um, you know, my, my, my pitch to uh, our, our candidates is one is that we're helping people who are like you. You know, you may be a software engineer or you may be a data engineer, but they're fundamentally nerds like you and they're suffering. And we've got the we, we have the formula to ease that suffering. Right. And, and so. And uh, it's proven through our company and it's proven because we're ripping off previous people who solved the same problem in different industries. Mm -hmm. um, and then second, they like the fact that um, my company is profitable. Um, we're bootstrapped. We've never gotten any outside funding. We're 65 people now. And, uh, you know, I wrote the first version of the product. So they like working for a, a person who's technical. And wow. so, um, and those two things I think are, you really have a chance to um, truly help people. And I don't mean that just in the blow smoke phase. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, you're working for a fellow nerd who kind of gets it and has done your job. And so those things, I think, are good messages to uh, engineers who want to come work for us. Um, you know, maybe we're not the sexiest job in, in the cool company with that get, that's got 400 million in financing. And, um, you know, everyone gets like, uh, gets a lot of free stuff, but we're, you know, we're profitable and we're, <laughs> and we're growing. So. Yeah, I, I like the fact that the way you you put it, like you as you you yourself as an engineer, I mean, you feel their pain and they feel yours, right? Yeah, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. So I know, I mean, that's what's nice about being an old nerd. It's like I've done every job in a software company, right? And recently, right? And so like, um, it's uh, it's okay. Like I get what they're doing. And so like, the, right. they, they, and my co-founders are too. So they can't put one over on us, which is also right. a, not a negative. They, they, you know, we can tell how long it's going to take. <laughs> right, right. But, but we've also set up our company following our belief system, right? That mm -hmm. autonomy and mastery and purpose are a great way to do a job. Um, and that, you know, working in an agile way and, and focusing on customer value. And sometimes your customer is um, not our, not the end customer, but your fellow employee, um, mm -hmm, right. you know? And so um, like, I just, we have, you know, we, we don't have a huge company, right? So I, I do training of new employees and I went through cultural values and, I think that stuff matters because uh, at least as a guy who founded a company, I'm trying to make a company that I wanted to work at, you know, and, and like, nice. I, you know, I, I'm, I'm old enough that like, you know, I, I don't have anybody else to impress. And so I'm like, just trying to make a great workplace. Excellent. Rings Very a bell. Nice. Rings a bell. Excellent. Back to you guys. So we're, we're almost up on time. In fact, we are up on time, but I just wanted to uh, ask um, for anyone who's watching, maybe, uh, one or two or three key things that would trigger them wanting to contact you. What's what's going on in their organization that should be the red flag that says, you know what, I really ought to go talk to Data Kitchen. What do they need to look out for? Exactly. And this is the way we think of it. Are you producing data insights that have a lot of problems with them? You know, are you spending Friday or Saturday fixing things that should work? And are you wake up you have the Monday morning dread. You wake up for that email saying it's wrong and like my life's going to suck for the next week. And then number two is you go into um, your business customer and, and you do a great job and they ask 10 follow-up questions and your heart sinks because you know oh. it's going to take you a month to do those 10 follow-up questions and their expectations are you should be able to do that in, in a few days. And so those two things, you can't go fast enough and things are breaking, um, uh, are really good causes. And then the, the third thing is somewhere along the line, you've learned that um, how you organize your teams, maybe because you've got an agile background or a DevOps background, or maybe you've worked in manufacturing, that organization of teams and systems and automation matter. And, and not just like magic beans of I'm gonna buy a new faster database. And, and so those things, tend to be good characteristics for us. Great. Thank you. We appreciate having you as our guest. Uh, lots to do when it comes to managing data and getting better insights. But you can go to the kitchen and get your information in, <laughs> in the best way possible. So check out the kitchen. Uh, thanks for being with us. Just stay with us as we go off the air in just a minute. Carlos, we got one more show tomorrow, right? What do we got coming up? Yeah, absolutely, Tulio. Thank you. And of course, thanks, uh, Chris, for being with us. So today we got, uh, I mean, tomorrow, I'm sorry, we have the final the final show of the week. We'll be speaking with Mark Ruddock, the CEO of Nuula. The topic will be the intersection of off data and design, reimagining small business financial services. That's what we have tomorrow right here on Dojo Live at 12 p.m. Pacific. So remember, everyone, join us. Don't miss it. And you make it Have a grand fun. day. Have fun. Exactly. Yeah. Enough of staying safe. So <laughs> do that no, too. Don't stay safe, but have fun. Do that too, but also have fun. Don't forget to have fun. You only live once. Thank you. Thank you.
Check out past episodes, transcripts, blogs, and more on our website, dojo.nearsoft.com.